Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Horrific holidays, and welcome to episode 52 of Schlockernaut, where we travel to the edge of the cinematic universe to watch and discuss all types of films, including creepy Christmas films that will keep you up all night praying the phone doesn't ring again. You can check out steve52.com for previous episodes and links to support the podcast. I'm Doc. I'm here with the one guy who couldn't be bothered to volunteer for the search party, Steve, and now onto the show. It was cold out there, man. So, so you say, a little bit too much work. I don't know. A little frosty, nipply. I'm not too mm-hmm. worried about the chick. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> I don't want to get frostbite for God's yeah. sakes. <laughs> hey, do you think that uh, that voiceover guy was going for like a Boris Karloff and completely missing the mark on that? I don't know. Like a snooty British guy. I don't know. I mean, I, I've talked to a lot of British guys and they never sound like that. Yeah, I think he was even trying to throw a little Grinch who stole Christmas in there. I don't know, but let me ask you this: When did uh, have you ever had a chestnut from a roasted open fire? Is that a real thing, chestnuts? When's the last time carolers carolers came to your house? I don't think they're even allowed to. Like the HOA would kick them out or something. <laughs> it's a private property; you can't be performing without a permit. No soliciting, no carolers is on my door. <laughs> we should put that out there: no carolers, yeah. Bahamut. <laughs> cool, man. We are talking today. About 1974s, not 2006s. Black Christmas, it's rated R. It's an hour and 38 minutes. Got a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, which is not bad. It's available on Showtime and Shutter Streaming. And are you ready to play the tagline game? Yeah, it's also available on YouTube, completely free, just throwing it out there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's how Aaron watches all of his, correct? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, hit me, though. Let me, let's get these taglines again. Right, ready? Yep. This Christmas... It's ho ho hopeless. That's Doc. Okay, okay, very good. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, then it's on too tight. Ooh, that's that's good, dude. I'm thinking IMDb on that. Of course, because it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't always the case. I mean, I'm kind of disproving what I said earlier uh, about IMDb uh, taglines. Ready? Yep. The stalkings were hung by the chimney with scare. No, that's you. It's got to be you. God damn it. Yeah. You get the stalkings, not stockings. I don't think IMDb is as known for wordplay as you are. That's true. Shitty wordplay, too. (laughs) My favorite kind. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, shot in nine to ten weeks with an initial budget of $400,000. Directed by Bob Clark. Are you familiar with him at all? I did look him up, but I didn't write it down. Can you run a few for me? Uh, he basically began his career as a horror director, which in some interviews I've seen with him, he thought that was his like foot in the door. He wasn't really a much of a movie guy, so he thought if he could make some low-budget horror movies and get his foot in the door with some projects, then he could get other movies that he wanted to make. Got it. So he started off with uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, Dead of Night, and this aforementioned film. Uh, he transitioned later to comedy. He did Porky's. Nice. You're familiar with that. Yeah. He did... Um, um, holiday legend status movie, A Christmas Story. Yeah. Wow. It's a big one. Um, he did some amazing stories, and then he went on to do Baby Geniuses too. Well, you know, you got you to gotta eat. <laughs> you got to pay the bills, man. You got to eat. 
Uh, so this movie stars Margot Kidder, John Saxon, Olivia Hussey, Lynn Griffin, Kier Dulay, and Andrea Martin. Kier Dulay. That, I was wondering how to pronounce that. Kier Dulay. I like it. It's fancy. All right. Cool, man. Uh, this is written by Roy Moore and based on a series of murders in Montreal. There you go. All right. You ready for a you know what? Just real fast. Do you know what the original title of the movie is going to be? Oh, I looked it up. Is it like? There was a couple of them. Yeah, it's one of them's real good. It's a two-word title, right? Yes. What was it? Stop Me. Yeah, I like that one. That was my favorite. Also, it went by the title for a while, Silent Night, Evil Night. Yeah, and it, I, I was thinking, of course, Silent Night, Deadly Night, but that's not why they changed it. It was for a different reason, right? I don't remember reading anything about that, but um, they initially thought that maybe Black Christmas would... Now, I don't know if this is true or false. I just read about it. Um, Black Christmas would have intonations of black of black exploitation. Oh, right, film. right. Yes, I remember reading the same. Yeah, right. So that's kind of why they switched around. I'm glad they kept Black Christmas because it's a perfect title for a movie. Yeah, I, I was really excited to watch this one, dude. It's cool. Cool, man. I'm glad. Yeah, and I saw too. I don't know if you saw any of the trivia, but this is a favorite of like, um, what was it? Elvis Presley's favorite uh, movie, Hollywood. Elvis. Rumor has it that it was Elvis Presley's favorite Christmas movie. Yes. And he would watch it every year, and they have continued that tradition. Don't know how true that is. I mean, right. they could probably just say, yeah, Elvis, we watched Black Christmas last night for you, buddy. And I believe it's a, a favorite of Steve Martin as well. Yeah, Olivia Hussey, I think, was trying out for the movie Roxanne, and he and she met Steve Martin, and he told her, oh, my God, you were in one of my favorite movies. And she thought it was like Romeo and Juliet right. or something. He was like, no, it was... Black Christmas. That's one of my favorites. Which is funny because I saw her in Romeo and Juliet in high school, and uh, she's nude in that for a for a brief minute. I don't. I think she was only like seventeen or eighteen in that movie. They showed that in high school, too. dude. I remember the the teacher specifically like pausing it, walking up to the VHS and pausing it and saying, "Okay, guys, I expect you to be adult about this, but there's a, a slight nude scene coming up. But I think we're all we can all handle it. We're in high school or something." And I remember um, <laughs> that's not happening. The the minute that her shirt was open, I was in the back of the class like, <laughs> and then everybody started doing it and you know it, it devolved into a bunch of dudes hooting and hollering it was pretty bad so we're gonna ask a bunch of high school teenagers to act adult when they see boobs yeah and all the girls are like covering their eyes and shaking their head just mortified like, oh yeah a like bunch yeah. of monkeys in this class you know what they have done if they had like he had come out with full frontal wienerage you know what, I, I'd have probably thing. done the same cheer just to get it going, just to start it off. <laughs> Excellent, man. Yeah. I'm equal opportunity uh, nudity movie guy. Any nudity excites me, yeah, I'm all about now, it. You know, to be honest, though, I bet you back then I wouldn't be confident enough with myself to, you know, to do that for male nudity as well. No, yeah. we only say it now because we're old. Old and don't care, yeah. The things, we, the things we know now, wouldn't it be great to go back? As our younger selves, hey, you'd like to think you'd be like the coolest dude in school, but it probably oh, I would not. It probably I'd still would be not. Socially awkward. Yeah, I would <laughs> probably not. Be, not. Trust me, I would be socially awkward. But at least I could um, do things differently, per se. Right, right, right. Absolutely, man. I had the good chance I still would have hooted and hollered at that scene, just throwing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready for a fake sponsor? Yeah, hit me. All right, this episode of Schlockernaut is brought to you by. Miss Max spiked an extra boozy eggnog. Keeps the party alive even as everyone around you is dying. Nice, dude. Good one, man. <laughs> That's better than mine. Mine's kind of weak, but it made me chuckle. Uh, mine's brought to you by obscene phone calls. Uh, funny even when they're not supposed to be, because I was still laughing at those. Were you? Yeah, I was, dude. I thought they were genuinely frightening, man. They I were, mean, just, yeah. I, I put myself in their shoes sometimes. I was like, dude, just imagine getting that phone call. 
Um, and it's not like today when you just block the number and never hear it again. Hello, Aaron again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it would be truly shocking. Yeah, the voices were great and it was uh, legitimately creepy, but the things he was saying still, I, I still laughed. Like the way he was calling them out was funny to me. You'd like the um, suck my juicy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'll lick your. Yeah, I might have some laugh. samples of that later for you. Just spoiler. <laughs> All right. Well, you know who who did those uh, voiceovers for the phone calls, right? Was it um some of them were done by was it Roy Moore and some done by Peter the actor or how how did they do that? I believe it was uh, Bob Clark, Nick Mancuso, and a female who they really still forty years later when you ask Bob Clark, he can't remember who the female was. Right. I saw it was more than one person that contributed. Because on the voice on the phone calls, it was supposed to be Billy and Agnes making the phone calls. I thought, or Agnes in the background screaming. And, right, and right, right. Walking. Billy talking and, and the baby Agnes or whatever he's doing, right? Correct. Yeah, that's what I got out of it, too. All right, man. Cool. All right, well, speaking of uh, spoilers, here's a spoiler warning. Hello, neighbor. Doc and Steve are about to discuss all the wonderful details of this film. Doesn't that sound great? But if you don't want your movie experience to be spoiled because you haven't seen the movie, well, I suggest you stop listening now and go watch the film. Don't worry, we'll be right here waiting for you when you get back. See you then, neighbor. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? All right, this film opens with... Silent Night, uh, never having sounded more eerie, ever. Can you agree with it? The song, right? The slowed down version? Silent Night, correct. Yeah, dude. Super effective. I thought it was great. You get the establishing shot of, I think, what I believe, one of the most important characters of this film, which is the sorority house itself. I would agree. I think that house was... that. So that was an actual house. That couldn't have been a set, right? No, it was not. He actually was looking... His, um, what do they call him? set or location scouts couldn't Mm -hmm. find an appropriate set for them so he actually started looking on his own and he trespassed onto some private property and saw that house from the backyard and chose it from that man that was a that's a huge get for this movie i think that was really important there was parts of like this is one of those houses that's it's super dark wood and uh creepy and it has those stairs that are wide enough for you know like four or six people to walk side by side down the stairs it's huge sets of stairs but it comes down right into the foyer right in the front of the house yeah but you would still have to turn to the right to get to your victim. So when you come down, you still have a little bit of safety there, but he can see everything that's happening down below, especially where you're answering the phone. Because yep. how many times were people answering the phone and he would stare down at them? Right. So yeah, I think there? without that location shoot, I think this movie wouldn't be half as effective as it was because that was, I think you're exactly right. This is a huge part of the movie was just the the location. And we talked about it a lot, too, during the Silent Night, Deadly Night episode. Um, but remember, this is the original holiday-themed, you know, dark, scary movie, right? Mm, right. You take something that's so jovial and jolly and joyous, and you turn it into something dark and um, filled with suspense and dread. And I think, you know, if you actually start listening to Christmas music now, it'll kind of have an effect, that effect where you'll kind of go back to that a little bit listening to those songs. I agree. I don't know if that will be like that for you, but it definitely will for me. No, yeah, I've I agree. I've seen this movie before, so... Um, fun fact, too, is also released four years before John Carpenter's Halloween. 
and people, many people have had like various comparisons with both of the films. And do you want to hear what kind of the comparisons are? Sure. And I, 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 later in the show, I took a couple notes where I think this might've been, you know, like the movie that did it first type thing. So uh, see if the, any of these match up with my later notes. Absolutely, man. Okay. Um, both films are kind of lacking on blood and gore. There's not a whole bunch of blood and gore in the movies. Yes. Um, both feature giallo style killer POV subjective shots. Yes. And they're both centered around a major holiday. Yep. I would agree with and that. And John Carpenter actually told Bob Clark when they were working on a horror movie that Black Christmas was one of his all-time favorites and asked him if he would ever do a sequel, what would he do? And Bob Clark said, I would uh, set it, I believe he said, to where the killer is found um, and then something, some other killer moves in and it's all based around Halloween. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But he, he then admits during the Q&A that um, that may be the case, but you know, Carpenter directed, produced, did the score of, um, got the script for Halloween and made it his own. So he doesn't believe that John Carpenter in any way, shape, or form stole the idea for Halloween from him. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have uh, thought that either. I think that they're different, but I think there are similarities for sure. There's some um, homages, some influences. I mean, every, every movie has similarities, you know, but it, in that respect, I think John Carpenter really had a vision um, and made that come, come to life. It wasn't a takeoff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no. But there were there were some similarities for sure, and I, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. Uh, so then we see a young lady entering, and the camera focuses on an exterior window, which I thought was kind of an interesting point of view because now we are explicitly peeping Tom's as well. Right, and that's where I, that's where I said like through his eyes now. Yeah, this, that's where I wrote down like this this first person point of view must have been pretty new in '74. Like I'm sure it'd been used somewhere, but this has got to be one of the first for a. For that type of shot, right? He said, you know, some people asked him um, during the Q&A if he was influenced by anybody um, before he shot this film. And he said, I wasn't influenced by anybody. I'm not conceited. I'm, I'm not narcissistic. I just, I wasn't really influenced by anything because he wasn't much of a movie guy. He didn't watch a lot of movies. He went to film school and wanted to make them. Yeah. Um, so that being said, he said he knows like some of the shots that they created. Um, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit too. Um, he, he knows they had been done before, but he doesn't know if they had ever been done as extensively as he did them. Right. Or in that, or in that way, it could have been a first person shot done with a different type of camera rig or a different type of system, um, right. than he used. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Too. Hey, and if, if, if I could break in here, I, I'm going to throw in a couple little, uh, uh, sound trivia bites for you where you can decide what I'm playing. You know, I, I want to do the first one right off the get, right off the get go here. So you know where I'm going with it. Will that work? Okay. Okay. Well, let's do it. So the first soundbite I have is, um, you tell me, is this the creeper creeping up to the house in Black Christmas, or is this Doc walking up my driveway? <laughs> You're going to get there. <laughs> this is kind of right. low, so you're going to have to really listen for it. So. Okay. Could you tell which that was? That was actually me opening a box of Triscuits as I traipsed <laughs> to the uh, refrigerator to pick up a, a cheese stick. That's a midnight snack run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay. I, I called him. He was very asthmatic. <laughs> so to break up the, because um, this movie has a, has a pretty dark tone, I'm going to throw a few of those in during the show to kind of break it up a little, all right? Okay, that's great. <laughs> Got a ton of dead space. Get it? Living space, dead space. Got it, got it. Yeah, you got it. You don't want it, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm got, I got it, and I'm giving it back, yeah. <laughs> so 
I was I, I would say I don't even know if it's a killer. We don't know yet if it's Peter the killer. We have no idea. But whoever it is walking is like a snort stomping because they're not very stealthy and they're gasping for air. Yeah. Um, but then he climbs the trellis upstairs, so he's in some sort of shape. So maybe he's just it's a like a cold or something that they got a hold of him. Um, hold on, and then we hold see on, Barb, real quick. Pause right there, dude. Something has happened with the speed of the recording where you're now talking slow, like <laughs> like you're slowed down, and you sound like the the slow clips I make you, and it actually sounds pretty cool. I want to leave it in. <laughs> but, you know what's funny? Huh? It sure sounds like I, it's been for the last three minutes or whatever. You sound like Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Really? <laughs> mine went super fast. Mine went up fast. It was like super fast, and it sounds like this, but I, and it's kind of scratchy. But I was trying to get through it. I wonder, okay, well, the, the audience will never know, but we're going to take a quick pause and be right back. Okay. So at this point, we're introduced to Barb, who is played by Margot Kidder, and I'm sure everybody in existence, except for maybe some of the younger folks, will know exactly who she is. Do you? Uh, that would be Lois Lane, would be her most famous, I'd say. Correct, indeed, Lee Doodley. Her first credit was in 1968. She is still working today at the age of 69. Um, Lois Lane in Donner's Superman, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, four. four, dude. Shaking, shaking my fist. Of course, yeah. I'd probably like it now. I kind of pretend but, uh, it doesn't exist, like kind of like the last uh, Indiana Jones. I just forget they're there. I would probably watch it again on a dare or something. That's the one with the guy who, like the muscly blonde guy. Let's see. Richard Pryor was three, right? Yeah. Uh, Zod was two. Terrence was that Terrence Stamp that played Zod? I believe so. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that would be four. Would be him. Okay, That's so, one with like nuclear bombs and stuff, right? Yes. Yeah, I remember it. And then she played Kathy Lutz in the Amityville Horror. Yeah. Classic. Tales from the Crypt and a veritable shit ton of... T she's done a ton of stuff, dude. And when she's on screen, dude, all eyes on her. She eats that screen up, dude. Her acting is... is uh, I mean, whether you like it or not, in this one, she's kind of supposed to be abrasive and over the top. But uh, when she's talking, uh, you know she's in the room. Yeah, she projects loudly. Yep. She is the center of attention. Yep. Um, she's basically having adult conversations with mature folks, uh, a.k.a. that's the old people on the screen. Yep. Um, and that one dude, I don't even know his name, but he played the uh, crappy Santa later. He had the most scrumptious mustache afro combo. Yeah, I wrote his name down. And is it? Can I just guess it? Herbert. <sighs> Damn it. It wasn't Patrick, was it? Was that Patrick in there? I don't know. But yeah. he... Played no integral role to the movie at all. Yeah, he was he Phil's boyfriend. Is who he was. Right. was it Phil's boyfriend? Yeah. He looked like he was 50 years old. I know. I think it was the stash that yeah. aged him ungracefully. Um, but I did notice that Barb is smoking and drinking profusely. Oh, yeah. Which apparently, I guess, wasn't much of a stress for, a stretch for Miss Kidder. No, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to speak ill of her because I really like her a lot as an actress. But at one point, I remember some news article where she was found like with her head half shaved in someone's backyard, missing her front teeth or something. Uh, all I'm going to say is she, she has struggled with addiction. Uh, and I believe that it's actually changed her voice. If you listen to her speak now, her voice is completely different. Her, like her vocal cords have been fried out. Yes. Wow. It's fried out by excessive yeah. drinking and smoking, but right. um, she didn't have it here. And I think this was, this was way before Superman too. So, I mean, yeah. Um, and the phone rings and we're able to observe, um, basically Jess answer her very first phone call ever. Yeah. Cause she doesn't understand what's going on. 
It's. Uh, I was thinking it's probably a long distance phone call because she is screaming at the caller who's in another country. Right. Apparently. So. <laughs> hey, you like, know what's funny? Hello. <laughs> Pardon. Who? You know what I thought about that man is uh just what you said there. It's it's a long distance call and she says that you know it's for you. It's long distance. Uh, my kid and your kid will never understand the importance of a long distance telephone call. Like, hey, it's a long distance phone call, so you better get your ass over here like ASAP. Drop what short- you're doing and get over here now. <laughs> No. It's ten dollars a minute, okay? Right. Did you ever make the mistake of calling somebody long distance and not knowing it? And oh my phone god! Oh yes, dude. And I, you would get—I mean, if it was thirty cents, it was like, "What is this? Who did you call?" Like, oh my god, <laughs> dude. He'll never understand that. Neither will yours. They'll never get that. That, that at one point, that was pretty much like red alert. Stop what you're doing. Get on with <laughs> get on with this call and get it over with. And it better be freaking important right. because. If I answer the phone, you're like, hey, how's it going? Long distance phone calls did not start that way. Like, hey, what are you up to? It was like, your mom's dead. She's been in a car accident. Get home now. Yeah. Or your brother's (laughs) ill. Need money. You know. It was a telegram. Stop. Talking now. Stop. Brother needs money. Stop. (laughs) What was the one commercial? Had a baby. It's a boy. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it. But You know, it it sucked because when I was a kid, um, I lived in in a small town in Tennessee. And one of my best friends ever, Tyler, he moved to another small town and we had the same area codes, right? Yeah. And then at one point they changed their area codes. So in order for me to call, call him, it was a long distance phone call. And it was literally never that way. They just changed area codes and made it a long distance phone call. So it went from talking to him every day to talking to him like him and, t- and Jody both like once a month, maybe. And it was just like, hey, can I come over on Friday? Sure. Is your mom okay with it? Okay, I'll see you then. Yeah, that, that's, that's a crazy thing of the past, man. That's not, that will never be a thing again. Well, the phone call is for Barb, and so she goes to answer, and it's her mom complaining, and she's claiming she's not drinking, and she's, you know, just had, she's not drunk, she's just had a couple, yeah. 13, um, and that's when we get the first, like, subjective point of view shot from the killer, like, coming uh, into the attic, right? He's crawling up the trellis, but now he's entering the attic, and it is uh, sufficiently creepy up there, dude. Yeah, and I was I was engrossed at this point. That house was so badass, and and the whole first person thing that I didn't expect from a movie this old, I was just like riveted to the screen. Yes, sir. It was uh, there was like an old merry-go-round horsey up there, and weird little dolls, and it was all sufficiently creepy and cobwebby, and um, I mean, it was just really cool. Yeah, and I don't know if you could pick it up in that clip if it, we had weird audio then or not, but even the background, um, the score behind it was really creepy. It it really lent to the to the whole atmosphere. So we'll talk a little bit more about the score later, but I can tell you that the score, uh, the composer of the score was Carl Zittrer, Z-I-T-T-R-E-R. Um, he com- made it by combining eerie piano strums with creepy moaning voices. Um, and he would basically um, destroy a piano and, you know, take a comb or a brush and rake it across the piano key, uh, keys and the piano chords and stuff and the piano wires and do all sorts of crazy stuff to make those effects. It wasn't overpowering. It was just No, right. not at all. Bravo to him, man. Yeah, good job. So, um, and like we talked about earlier, the, the Christmas music in the background was always slowed down. Yes. I don't know if you could notice that. Yes, I did. Now, I sent you some stuff yesterday, and you said it costs you a lot of money and a lot of time from your life to make these effects happen. But can we go through maybe some of the songs that I sent you to have you slow them down to see if they are effectively creepy? And could you tell us what the names of the songs are before you play them? Not only do I have that, I have some extras I threw in because I had such a good time doing it. 
So, awesome. So I cannot you, wait for this, dude. You want the name before I play the clip? Yeah, well, just play the clip, and then we'll see if it's creepy or not. Let me be the judge if it's creepy or not, because I've never heard them slow down. And then if either way, then you can tell me what the song is. Okay, so this one you're going to get. we can't figure it out. Like, Lynn was here when I did him. I played him for her because I was pretty proud of him. Um, and she okay. got one of the, these two. So I'm going to give you the one she got first, because I think you will too. Okay. Okay, let's do this. That almost sounded like an ominous warning. I'll be back again someday. Dude, I'll tell you what. I mean, we're having fun with it and laughing about it, but if you just hear that in the right context, that is some serious creep. I'll be back again someday. Please don't. That's what you sounded like before I restarted the audio. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like Alvin and the Chipmunks, so there. I hope that hope comes out. Right. I hope that, oh, yeah. In a way, I hope people get to hear that, the Discord mishap. Yeah. The DM. Yeah. Um, that is Frosty the Snowman, and I think that was a successful operation. It sounds creepy. I agree, and so did Lynn. So let me give you the second one she did not get. Okay. When we found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack She had hoof prints on her forehead And then permanent Grandma got ran over by a creepy ass reindeer. Dude, tell me that wasn't some weird, nasty stuff going on. It was sounded like that was a pre-planned attack on grandma. Yeah. It's gnarly, dude. I think I think you're onto something. I think like you slowed it down a little bit more than the other one too to no. get a different effect. Those are both at uh sixty uh, percent speed, both of them. Really? Yeah, but I had to mess with the pitch just a tiny bit because the um you couldn't it would kind of sound tinny like if you didn't so that guy just had a deeper voice is all. That was really good. Yeah, I liked it a lot too, man. And you know, I'm telling you, it was worth the time and money because I've been having fun with this all day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because good. before you were just doing our voice from the show and slowing it down, but now you have to slow down actual clips. Correct. Before I ha- I could I got a podcast um app that would let me play a podcast at a faster slow speed i would run that through my recorder or the uh, mixer and i'd be able to capture it this wasn't this was audio off the internet so i had to get a whole different setup to do it but again thank you patreon supporters for helping us do that yes thanks guys all right awesome you ready for number three i haven't heard this one so i have no idea what this is going to be i can't wait silent night holy night Silent Night, obviously. Terrifying. But I'm going to tell you this. That has always been, my, my son asked me that today, that has always been my favorite favorite Christmas song. Um, and it's because I think it's not jolly. It's a little bit more morose and slow. And I actually like that version really. <laughs> I liked it a lot. So here you go, man. The most terrifying one of all. That was actually Justin Bieber played at normal speed. No slowdown. Oh, my God. <laughs> normal speed Biebs. <laughs> uh, was it really? Yeah, it was. 
Oh my god. 100%, 100% speed. <laughs> I've been outed. <laughs> right. I think I have I think though. I think I've got one even more more terrifying than that one, dude. Okay. Ready for this? Is it the one about I found the brain of Santa Claus because that's a great <laughs> no, song no. if nobody's ever heard that one? No, this one I don't think many people have heard. This is one that um it's a kind of an underground B-side. Okay. Right. Hey, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I do. That's when I have vapor lock when carolers come to my house and I'm socially awkward and uh, standoffish and I don't want them to be on my front porch anymore. <laughs> I've had a little bit too much eggnog. <laughs> I found, believe it or not, I found one even more terrifying than that one. No, like that. stop here. Oh, do you guys want to see me dance? <laughs> Like get right up in people's faces and invade their personal <laughs> area. Terrifying. Uh, so my idea has now been used against me to um, <laughs> mock and ridicule me. I love it. In case you didn't, in case you haven't heard the previous show for people listening, um, that's Doc explaining what he thinks breakdancing sounds like. Audio. <laughs> It, you think break dancers sound like a transformer, like Optimus Prime transforming? Well, I mean, it, it is called the robot, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that little um. <laughs> <laughs> Told you it was science fiction. Me, now you're making fun of me. That's great. Not okay. Not okay. So, thank you for letting me do that. Though that was fun. It was a great idea. Okay. I had Thanks a ton for, of fun making that. <laughs> Thanks for taking my idea and using it against me. <laughs> And you know what's funny is even the Justin Bieber thing was my idea, and I didn't even catch up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't slow that one down at all. <laughs> <laughs> I got the memory of like a fly. Apparently, I'm going to be Wait, dead in one day. You know what's uh, messed up is like when, when I was taking the frosty clips. I'm like, ah, you know what? 12, 15 seconds. That's usually my clip. You know, because clips going too long kind of get boring. Um, Absolutely. But I forget that when you take a 14 second clip and you slow it down, it's now 28 seconds. So <laughs> it's like the longest <laughs> clip ever. Double the, the length of the clip. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, Math. I'm just glad I got that number right. 14, 20. Okay, good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that first phone call was kind of important too because um, it reiterates to us in 2017 that this is 1974. So if they're having a connection problem, they can actually click through the flow, right? All right. Click the receiver a couple of times to inform the operator of the problem. Yep. Now, um, if this has been 2017 and we could still do that, uh, basically, w the way that conversation would have gone was I would have double-clicked and said, hey, I just had a connection problem, so this phone call is going to be free, right? You're not charging me for it. Because like, if I ever have a problem with cable, I call the cable company and I complain to try and get a discount on it. Do you really? Like, can I get today's prorated, please? Look, uh, I didn't have cable for like literally 30 seconds, and it ruined my episode of uh, Rick and Morty. So do you think you could give me a discount on my monthly rate they gotta love you gotta go to customer retention for that man you, they'll give you whatever you want no they won't will not i've we'll had, I've had great luck day. yeah i was a cox cable customer for 15 years and finally they had had enough of me <laughs> they got rid of you they fired you <laughs> no i fired them but yeah they were like uh yeah that's all we're doing man sorry i was like can i speak to customer service this is he customer retention you're talking to him the president of the company anybody yeah. somebody Yep, not happening, dude. Yeah, you're fired. But I fired them. I told them to disconnect it, and they kind of laughed a little bit. Like, you're disconnecting your cable? I'm like, absolutely. 
cut it right now. And it's amazing how long it takes them to connect it, but how fast they can cut it. No, that same day. Within 10 minutes, same within day 10 service. Minutes, I'm like, oh man, I don't have cable. You're waiting for the guy in the van to pull up with his snippers. <laughs> Come out. Like you're taking food out of my kids' mouths and cut the cable. And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir. Have a good day. Uh, Sledge used to do that for a living. He's got some great stories of like having to cut people off. Like, and it would be in the middle of a, some really important soccer game and like a mob of Mexicans would just run out and try to lynch him and you have to jump in his van and <laughs> drive, like, drive away at top speed. Oh, Jesus, dude. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's like a repo in a car. Yeah. Just taking off for your life. Yeah. So um, then the camera pans up and we see that the attic hatch um, – is is closed but the the uh, killer is climbing down and that's when we see that he has the perfect vantage point on his victims who are using the phone right when i say perfect it's really not because if he's on the phone calling them then he can't be at that vantage point that's true calling them on the phone yeah and there's there's a few other um really glaring inconsistencies on what he's doing during the movie but i i really didn't care on this one i i kind of just i went with more for the feel of it I mean, you, you could see some boom mics every now and then, yeah. but dude, I, I didn't even really notice it until Aaron pointed it out to me. So. Well, some of the things he did would have been impossible based on where they were at in the house and where he was at during that scene. So, you know, but it, it, again, it didn't matter. It's because there's more than one killer. Could Steve. be. Who knows? I, I just do want to throw a quick shout out to Reg Morris, who was the director of photography for this film. Um, he and the cameraman, Bert Dunk, devised a special Brilliant. camera system which allowed Dunk to work hands-free. When he was filming. So um, Dunk's hands are actually the killer's hands. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So because that's how he's they set up the camera sh- system, yeah. like on the front of his chest, so he could work hands free. So those are actually his hands. That's cool. The so, like a shoulder or a chest rig harness type deal. Yes. Yeah. So I thought the camera work man in this film was absolutely top notch. I, I can't did too. say enough nice things about it. It uh, was beautiful yeah. to watch. I'm with you. So then we meet Jess, who's played by Olivia Hussey. Um, she awkwardly answers the phone again, and um, it's funny because she's like, hey, guys, it's that moaner again. Yeah, they all kind of gather around the phone to have a good time with it. Because who doesn't want to hear the moaner? Yeah. The person having the most fun with it is uh, Barb, Margot Kidder. Easily. She loved it. But um, Olivia Hussey has started a movie called Turkey Shoot, which I hope we do really, really soon. I just sent you the trailer for that the other day. I don't know if you watched it. Um, she was in the it TV movie. She did Boy Meets World, Batman Beyond. Um, she just had a completely varied and very interesting career. And I know a lot of people, even on um, Twitter, still talk about following her work today. So, cool. And she was naked in Romeo and Juliet when I was in high school. Which is the only thing Steve remembers, you dirty pig. My favorite part, yeah. Um, I, now, you're going to suggest differently, but I'm going to say that that phone call is right from my nightmares. It was uh, There was snorting, snorting and giggling and rambling and perverse, uh, obscene talk. Um just terrible stuff. No, I, I agree that it was completely insane and, and very creepy, but I still chuckled just because of the content, like the things he was saying made me chuckle. Well, it, it's kind of interesting too, because now would you have handled it like, like, um, Jess handled it by just listening and not saying anything, or would you have handled it like Barb did? It depends. If, if you're by yourself, you, you, that's a whole different story. When you're at a party and you're drinking, you got your boys with you and someone wrong, wrong numbers, you know, you, you mess with them, you have a good time with it. So I can kind of see both. So Barb was kind of the drunk yeah, frat guy at the party yeah. who's like, I'm going to show this dude. So she has a little back and forth, which kind of upsets Claire because she thinks she shouldn't provoke that dude, right? Right. She's scared of it, and rightly so. Well, yeah, it turns out Claire was the voice of reason, along with Phil, who um, 
throughout the movie, I think Phil was the most level-headed of all the girls. Um, yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay. Do you know Claire uh, so, was the chick from Strange Brew? Yeah. Dude, that, that, it blew me away. Like, halfway through the movie, it just, like, dude, that was Strange Brew chick. I don't know. Dude, I just her name is Lynn Griffin. She was in Strange Brew, The Heavenly Kid, uh, The Storm of the Century TV movie, Warehouse 13. She's still actively working today. She's got a shit ton of credits, bro. She's yeah. done a lot of stuff. And I like her and the stuff she's been in, so good for her. Yeah, she's good. So, she's... She kind of gets upset with Barb for provoking this guy, so she goes upstairs alone, mind you, yeah. um, to pack up her stuff right as Miss Mac shows up, properly snookered. Miss Miss Mac comes in looking like the penguin, like with a, with like that, <laughs> like a little crooked top hat and like one of those cigarettes on the on an extender, <laughs> like an un, unfit uh, Mary Poppins. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna let you. She was the house mom too, so she was responsible for watching all these chicks, and I kind of wonder what created that alcoholism problem for her <laughs> like what has she seen in that house because she she both like treated them well but behind the scenes she would call them hussies and hookers and whores and broads and 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 before we get too far away from the telephone call i'm going to do one of my trivias here because it'll give you a taste for what the voice sounded like which is an important part of the movie as well you know I yes think. absolutely it okay. builds the tone right so would this be the creeper from black christmas or doc eating a corn dog <laughs> you want to take a guess? That is me utilizing my teeth to get into an unopened bag of m and It's even better. <laughs> when you when one hand when you only have one hand free. <laughs> like one hand's on the uh, Xbox controller and I want to get into those M&Ms and I'm just like <laughs> trying to use my teeth to get in there. You get that little choke in the, at the end from dumping them down your gullet. And not what happens them. is because you have it in your mouth, you inhale, and one of them um, errantly just sucks right up into your windpipe, <laughs> so you can't do anything about that. Stop eating like a like a seagull. You won't have that problem. <laughs> so, okay, no jokes. Uh, all jokes aside, play it again just so people can hear yeah. how disturbing this actually yeah, it, sounds. Yeah, it really was creepy here. <laughs> And now that nobody can get the image of what you just said previously out of their mind, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when Claire goes up to her bedroom, the killer is kind of in her closet staring out, and there's those um, garment covers that are made of, like, flimsy plastic. Yeah. And, dude, he's kind of staring at her through that. And um, the music kind of jangles. That's when he's doing the piano key, the piano slap, and all that stuff. And it really kind of jangles your nerves, too, because it's very discordant. Oh, it's very one of those unsettling. scenes where, where you know the chick is right next to the bad guy, and she doesn't notice it, and you're, like, rubbing your palms together, like, oh, he's right there. He is right there. <laughs> you know, he's right Do in front of you. Do not go over there. But what's funny is, as soon as she starts walking towards the closet, the sounds and the music just stop. Yeah. And it's completely silent. And that goes a long way in um, projecting fear. Kind it's of so tension. Hear her breathing it's, it's that tension, tension, dude. It's crazy. And he just slaps that plastic wrapper right around her head, dude. And there is that is the scene from the entire movie. Her head wrapped in plastic is Black Christmas. Yeah, it was a great scene, but uh, there was a great um, looking scene. But there was a scene later in the movie that freaked me out more than that. And I'll tell you when we get to it. Oh yeah, I agree with you on that. But her head wrapped in plastic because basically he takes her upstairs. 
Uh, just so you know, she's screaming for her life, but the girls are celebrating loudly with Miss Mac downstairs, so nobody can hear her dying upstairs. Right, they're cheering at the same time that she's yelling. And I think like Miss Mac is like breaking open uh, presents for everybody or something, um, because she's drunk, so she doesn't know what she's doing. So she's loudly doing whatever she does. Right. Um, and so he basically carts her up into the attic and puts her in a in a rocking chair, and she rocks back and forth, and she's got the bag and. It's always kind of creepy to me when the bag's sucked up back in their mouth. Yes, dude, yeah. Ugh, it just, I just want to get up there with a pin and poke a little hole in there. Which is it. what she did to breathe. She cut a hole in the nostrils and the um, and the mouth so that she could breathe through did it. Did she really? Yeah, I saw that in one of the makings. They needed that because she was in that chair for an awfully long time. Yeah, it's a great creepy look. She's in a rocking chair, which is creepy in itself. And uh, I put a couple gifts, I think. I might have put one in the Slack, but I'll, if not, I will for the patrons. But there's a really cool gif of her in that rocking chair with the bag on her head. That's, uh, it's great. Well, even like the shot of her from outside the window, she was in that window on display, on right. Christmas display, the entire movie. Right, like Psycho's mom up there, dude, just the silhouette. Yeah, just the silhouette of her in that chair. But uh, that's when Miss Mac locates the first of many Christmas cheer stashes. It's basically with the hooch, hooch, hooch in a book. Yeah, like... Filed under B for booze. How I would have like a gun in a book. She has a bottle of booze in a book. Yeah she finds and starts chug-a-lugging away. Uh, Miss Mac was played by Marion Waldman. Uh, she was in a movie called Deranged. Have you ever seen that? I don't think so, no. It's uh, an older movie based on the uh, serial killer Ed Gein. Um, fun fact, the guy who played Ed Gein in that movie, his name is Roberts Blossom. He played uh, serial killer Ezra Cobb, I believe. And uh, he played his old man Marley in the other epic Christmas classic, Home Alone. Oh, cool, man. That's a little connection. It's a little con- connection. She Neat. passed away, sadly, in 1985. Yeah, she was great in this. I, I laughed almost every time she was on scene. She, she was the perfect um, tension breaker in this movie. Like, without her, I don't think I would have liked it as much. Well, in any film, you have to have light and dark. If you have it so dark with ever, without ever having laughed, it's not enjoyable. You can make it dark. Just give me a laugh or two to break the tension, break the ice. Right. Kind of calm me down to bring me back up to terrify it again. But she did it perfect because even her humor was a little dark, and it, I thought it was a perfect match for for the tone of this movie. Yeah, and and I also thought the the writing of all the characters. Bob Clark even said it. I wasn't writing beach blanket bingo teenagers. I'm trying to write real teenagers, real college age kids dealing with real issues. Sure, That's why he yeah. brought in like the abortion and stuff like that. Yeah, this, there were the sexual posters on the wall and the and the, the jokes and for oh, the, the girls stuff away had. from home for the first time, finding themselves, discovering themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, what they found was death and carnage and murder, though, <laughs> which kind of sucks. But uh, Jess gets a phone fo- call from Pete, who we find out is her boyfriend, and it, that phone call did not bode well for Pete, who does not take a hint. At yeah, all. yeah, like when you call your uh, your wife and she's like, uh, "We need to talk." <laughs> then he's like, oh, I'm, well, I'm sure. What are, what are we going to talk about? We'll talk about it in person. Yeah. Well, I got a couple minutes. Go ahead. Right. What do you got? Oh, no, no. Face to face. And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. And, and Pete, Pete's not getting it. He's he's like, well, I'm really tired. I've been working a lot. I've been in the studio. We'll hook up another time and kind of brushes her off. Yeah. And in the end, you know, it's really not good when he's like, I love you. And what does she say? Yeah, I know. Which do you recognize where that line became famous from uh, empire strikes back which this movie was a full um six years before that movie right <laughs> so she says i love you and he or he says i love you and she says i know um 
that's when we cut to Miss Mac finding the uh, turlet tummy buster. <laughs> <laughs> she switched shit stuff around in her mouth like a like a um, alcoholic mouthwash. Or yeah, something. you know what they did well there too is, um, and it, this device always works for me is people looking in a mirror in a movie, right? Like that. That always. Oh, well, that scene where she pulled the mirror back and forth. Yes, and you're waiting every time. Side. Even even yeah. in those scenes when nothing happens, the suspense is great you know in those scenes like is is something going to be in the mirror this time is it going to be when she turns around um so that was just a nice little builder that was um counteracted by her opening the back of the toilet and ha- finding another stash of booze back there and just getting on drunk a string right like fishing it out on a string like where you'd put a where you'd put a, an upper decker or a brown trout up there you know <laughs> or uh, one of those blue tablets that makes your toilet yeah, nice I mean, and refreshing. It's a classic, like classy, classy '80s blue toilet water. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great because every time she passed that mirror, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge again. Like, is it gonna happen? Here is it, it gonna be this one? You know, it was perfect. Bye, it's happening. That that build up just man gets me every time. Is the water in the bowl in the top tank? Is that sanitary to drink or not? Nothing because it was all over the the top of the lid and everything. Nothing coming out of the public sewer system is safe to drink, no matter what nozzle you're getting it from. You're sure about that? It's not. No, that's a Steve. Quotable. That's a Steve law. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that has no basis in science. This is fact. this is not a Clark County fact. This is a Steve's house fact. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, um, Jess goes around looking for Claire. Um, but she's already deceased, rocking back and forth in a chair with a plastic bag over her head, so she can't find her. She's in the attic, too. Um, so Claire's dad is then seen waiting for her at, what, like a bus stop or something? Train station, maybe, com- yeah. Completely smashed in the face with a snowball for his troubles. Now, I watched this movie twice, and I made sure the second time to watch that closely. He, dude, he took one to the to the eyeball on that one, man. Yeah, that looked like it hurt That was not bad. a stunt double. That was a CGI. Yeah. Somebody smashed him right in the grill. Yeah, it blasted his glasses off. It went right up in his <laughs> eye. It was bad. Well, did the guy, I, I couldn't understand because I was taking notes, did the guy who smashed him come up and apologize or no? No, no, no. It was the kids getting off the bus that threw the snowball, and the guy was kind of um, chaperoning the kids. He ran over and said, I'm sorry, I should have watched them better. And the guy okay. the guy was like, yeah, you should have. And he's like, hey, sorry, man, I just came over to apologize. But if you're going to be a jerk about it, then, uh, you know, bye, <laughs> you know, pretty much. He does give him directions to the sorority house, though. Yeah, he calls him back, you know, there's, yeah. So... When he gets there, Mr. Harrison, Claire's dad, is completely disappointed in the state of her room because there's naked pictures everywhere and uh, empty booze glasses and eh, you know, basically a college kid's room. But I thought that the the um, the Miss Mac versus dad, uh, the dichotomy there was perfect because he was a stodgy old dude and she's she's this kind of vulgar alcoholic chick that was doing her best to cover all the um, antics of the chick. Yeah, she was definitely trying to cover for the yeah, kid. Yeah, and I thought that that was a real fun duo, that like the straight man foil type thing going on between him and her, I thought worked really well, the chemistry there. I, I can't agree more. I love the interaction between stuffy Mr. Harrison and sauced out Mrs. Yeah, Mack. I, I thought that was a real fun part of the movie. So at this point, dude, you can imagine how much I'm liking the movie because I'm, I'm on edge. I've, I've had suspense. I've had a pretty cool scary killing. I've got the funny telephone call. Uh, and then I'm getting this good humor and I'm like, man, this movie is really, it's firing on all cylinders for me. It's hitting everything I Dude, like. That's why it's a classic, man. It's a absolute classic. Yep. So that's when Jess and Pete decide to finally meet up in his recital studio. And uh, we get some serious talk here, some real talk. Jess wants an abortion and Pete does not. 
and he's a jerk about it. <laughs> he is, and she is too, to some degree. You know, I mean, they, um, I'm just gonna say this, man. His turtleneck amps his asshole level up to eleven. Yeah. He could have. He could have been the nicest fella ever, but he's got that turtleneck, and I'm not believing a word he's saying. He's yeah, a jerk. I'll give you that too, man. You're right. But abortion's another one of those subjects that was thrown around quite a bit and more in the 70s um, than, than it would be today. That's something you don't see, like, bantered around with too much in movies. Yeah, it's not a, uh, it's kind of a blue topic. Nobody wants to yeah, talk about Yeah, you know, like, it. like how uh, rape and racial exploitation and all that stuff in those 70 movies was just more like, uh, it was just prevalent. It was there. Well, it's funny people still talk about it like what does this political candidate think about abortion it doesn't matter what he thinks it's already been adjudicated right. there's already law about it right so what he thinks and what is law is two different things absolutely and you sure as hell don't see it in, in mainstream entertainment it, you know maybe you're know, talking some independent you know, like, films uh, but black widow yeah you're not <laughs> yeah. Like Captain America. Yeah, you're not going to see that thrown around as definitely as much as it was back then i don't think Oh, and Bandy before you get too far, too, um, they, there was a really, really eerie, eerie song they played right before they talked about this, um, the baby scene. Uh, did you catch it? It was a little baby bunting song. No, that's perfect, though. Dude, check this out. I had to cap it. I even uh, elevated the sound to make sure it was clear because this really gave me, the, like, the little bit of quiver. So check this. Little baby bunting, daddy's gonna huntin'. Gonna fetch a rabbit skin to wrap his baby in. Ooh, dude, even now it gave me the willies, dude. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, man, there. It was, uh, it was really creepy, really effective, and I think um, you mentioned something about um, how he was actually telling a story. Right, right. I went back and I, uh, I did, I, I listened to him a few times because I really wanted to see what was going on. And it was Billy, and he's talking about a baby or his sister. I'm assuming as Agnes, I think. Um, and some of the times he's telling his par- his parents are asking him, "What did you do with the baby? Where's the baby, Billy?" And sometimes it's Billy saying, "Don't tell any, don't say anything, Agnes. Don't tell him what we're doing, Agnes." So. It was a really weird story that I, I uh, really creepy story that I, I wish was fleshed better out, really. I can definitely see where you're coming with that because Bob Clark even said, like, he had a whole backstory written for Billy and Agnes where Billy maybe killed his parents and maybe he locked up Agnes for a long time. So he's kind of confessing to Jess, and but he's psychotic, so he's just kind of rambling about what's gone on in his life. So maybe that's part of it. I tell you what, that that right there, what you just said, could have fixed my biggest complaint of the whole movie, which, you know, you'll come out soon. Okay, cool, man. So, um, I think at that, that point, they go back to the sorority house, and it has uh, people in attendance are binge-drinking um, college students, a filthy Santa, uh, worried Mr. Harrison, and underprivileged children, I guess? Yeah, they're cursing in front of the kids, and it's... It was pretty, Santa was really being obscene. Yeah, it was, but it was kind of done in, in a. It was still funny. It was done in a humorous oh, way. Yeah. yeah. Well, what kind of party was that? You think? Kind of what I expect out of a college frat house party, I guess. Like, hey, let's help some underprivileged children, dude. Well, who's got the kegger? I'll pick up the kids yeah. and the kegger. Yeah, you find I'll out that that the the theory of it was fun, but the execution wasn't as fun as you expected. Correct, and it always goes downhill when you're trying to do something um, charitable. <laughs> Uh, but Jess gets another prank phone call. Uh, again, this one was hard to understand, but I did. Uh, I could get that the tone wasn't nice at all. Right. And 
I talked about this. The Prowler voice was provided by Bob Clark, a female who he thought possibly was Ann Sweeney, and actor Nick Mancuso has done a ton of stuff too. But um, that's when Mr. Harrison and some of the women go to the police precinct to report Claire as missing. But just like every movie ever, the police don't take uh, don't take take it seriously at yeah, all. You're not going to get help from that uh, avenue for sure. Um, Doug McGrath played Sergeant Nash. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job of per- portraying like an inept police officer who has to work the desk. Agreed. Yeah, he can't uh, do much else. Yeah. Um, did you get the joke between Barb and him about the area, uh, the operator code, or whatever? Yeah, the the uh, fellatio joke. Yeah, what is that? Explain that to me. I think that was an. Uh, I think that was when the old exchanges. It would be like a. Uh, connect me to Tuscany two 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 two. You know, like that type of phone phone <laughs> thing, like the Three Stooges would use. You know. Right. I think that she was saying that's the new area code was F-A, and then she would list F-E, out the letters, or F-E, and she would call, yeah, it's the new the new code is fellatio, fellatio 7765, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, like, I guess John Saxon, who comes up in a little bit, and um, um, what's his name? Laughing Cop. Doug McGrath. Yeah, uh, yeah they, with Laughing Cop too, none of them knew how to pronounce the word fellatio. They didn't know if it was Fellatio or Felicio. <laughs> is it Italian? <laughs> so when they laughed, they were all laughing because, like, am I saying this word even right? That's great, man. So um, at this point, Jess goes and visits Claire's boyfriend, Chris, at the hockey rink. Um, he hasn't. He doesn't have any information to work with, um, and he's worried, but he's also going to go to the police station and make some motherfuckers start doing their job. Right. Well, because the police basically accused her of, um, she's probably just shacked up with her boyfriend for the weekend. Um, so, right. you know, they, Jess goes to find him and say, Hey, have you seen her? I mean, the, exactly what the she should have done. You were probably shacked up with her. Right. So, and he's like, no. And um, then he did also, you notice, what's that? He was also aggravated because the um, policeman kind of dropped the dime on him and, and, and Jess, him and Claire to, uh, the dad, because now the dad knows that they were romantically, um, linked and and he, and he's mad that's why he's mad that the cops said something about his him them and it being a, an item right did you also know that he was wearing a um or notice that he was wearing a hockey mask which could that have influenced friday the 13th yeah he was a goalie on an ice hockey rink so <laughs> he should have been wearing a mask <laughs> i'm reaching for the stars here fella. Right. Right. um so that's when he goes to the police station we're introduced to uh, lieutenant ken fuller played by john saxon um, his career started in 1954. Um, you would most notably know him from Enter the Dragon, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, A-Team, Tenebrae, Battle Beyond the Stars, and a crap load of other things. Yeah, when I was he's looking... Awesome. He's great. He's great in everything. And when I was looking through the um, uh, other uh, actors in this film, I think like 70% of them has been in Murder, She Wrote. That was the big link. Yeah, right? That's All weird. All of them, Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. So I don't know what the connection was. I maybe they, maybe they murder she wrote or... was uh, influenced by Black Christmas. I mean, I mean, it could be something as simple as you know the casting director agent of of that also that worked on Black Christmas and knew a bunch of the same people or something. You know. So that's when Chris punks out Sergeant Nash in front of Lieutenant Fuller, and at this point, believe it or not, I was actually elated that Lieutenant Fuller was on the case because he's got that kind of fatherly figure. Right. He cares. Uh, and he immediately starts getting to work on the case, too. You notice that? Yes. So um, that's when we go back to the sorority house. Barb's drunk ass embarrasses herself with the turtle orgy story, like a turtle can have sex for three days un, un uh, uninterrupted, I guess. 
And so uh, Mr. Harrison just sat there and listened to her tell her stupid story. Um, and then basically she starts ranting that everybody believes that maybe she killed or she um, made Claire disappear because of what she had done with the killer on the phone. Or because she was rude to her. Uh, you know, the jet, uh, yeah, after she called her right. out, she was rude to her yeah. and kind of thumbed her nose at her and whatnot. Right. So, so she that th- is correct. She, they think that maybe she left because of that. So maybe, even if they didn't know if wrong, wrongdoing had been done, maybe she was the cause of her running away or you know that type of thing. Right. And this whole scene this, was, was just to punctuate the fact that she's crass and crude and doesn't care. You know? Correct. Uh, at this point, even uh, Miss Mac and Phil both kind of tell her, hey, you've had way too much, which is funny coming from Miss Mac, right. and uh, send her up to bed. To her death. I mean, up to bed. Yeah, or both. <laughs> sure. Um, and that's when it cuts to, uh, you know, kind of trying to create, um, I don't know, a killer profile. They cut to Psycho Peter smashing his piano up. Right. They, they're, leading, they're leading you uh, in the direction of Peter pretty much the whole film from he's here on the out. Killer. So he's going to be the prime suspect on everybody's radar, right? right? Um, but I thought maybe he has to be the killer because that's the same noise that we hear when the prowler skulks around the house too. Well, not only that, if you're, if, if you're looking at this as a whodunit, which I kind of was, you know, for most of the movie, uh, there's not, there's not that many characters left that weren't in the room at the time that the first kill was made. So that, that lent to that as well. He left the party and the killer came back and climbed the trellis. Right. Or no, the killer had already climbed the trail yeah, while before. he was in. Yeah, while he was in there. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, there throws that out. I just thought of that. So, yeah. um, Peter is played by Care Dulay. He was in 2001: A Space Odyssey, Space Station 76, which is a silly little sci-fi comedy spoof. Have you seen that one? No. Pretty cool. Stars Patrick Wilson also and Liv Tyler, I believe. Um, the Thin Red Line uh, also was a su- successful stage actor. So he's also got a presence too, kind of like Margot Kidder when he was on screen, like he, he demands your attention. Yeah, he had great delivery, man. Yeah. He was very, uh, foreboding. Yeah. And he's got that look too. Uh, like, uh, who's that guy? Like, uh, uh, Michael Shanahan, I think his name is where he's got that look where Michael Shannon, Shannon, there we go. Shanahan. <laughs> um, you know, when he's on the screen, you're looking at him. That's just how it yeah. is. And this guy kind of had, had that too. strong eyes, man. Yeah. He kind of looked to me too. as like a, uh, a young Malcolm McDowell. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? He so, looked like he could be a killer too, so he was perfect for this role. Dude, I even something that came up later in the movie, I I caught on, thought for sure I had it figured out, but I was wrong. So uh, Chris, Jess, Mister H, and Phil go to uh, join a search party. Um, which we haven't talked too much about Phil. She's been in every scene in the movie. She's kind of the homely Horshack doppelganger sorority Horshack, girl. Nice. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Ask your parents, people. Horshack. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, she was played by actress Andrea Martin, who is a very accomplished actress with over 157 credits to her name, dude. Yeah. Um, as recently as Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Modern Family. Um, she also played Miss Mack in the 2006 remake of Black Christmas. Wow, brought her back. Yeah, she was in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Um, I don't. Are you a Jimmy Neutron fan? I know what it is, but I don't. I don't watch it. She plays Miss Fowl on Jimmy Neutron, so. I don't know. Yeah, I looked her um, up too because I thought she was great in this. Like, I, there was really not many people in this that I didn't like, and she was one of my favorites. They all did, dude. The casting in this film is top notch. Expert casting. Yep. Um, there's not some not one person miscast. They all did a great job. I guess there was another actor cast for John Saxon's part, and uh, he was really old. And like the first scene they filmed with John Saxon was him out um, 
rallying up the search party to um, find the girl, give them instructions and find the girl. Yeah. And it was like two or three in the morning. It was freezing cold. Um, and so when Bob Clark went to put that old man out there, who I guess the actor before John Saxon was extremely old, he just couldn't do it. He could hardly put his jacket on. He oh, could not man. subject himself to put that guy in that situation. So he cut a contract with him. And uh, hired John Saxon, who was available. You can so, do a whole lot worse than John Saxon, I'll tell you that. I <laughs> know, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and did you know the snow in the movie was fake, all of it? I did. I read that. That's funny. Yeah. It was some sort of foam provided by the fire department that actually made the grass greener. Right. The next spring. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, doing no harm while you're making the movie, actually making things better. Yep. So, um, the killer lurks around as Miss Mac pre-flights before her trip. She actually, like, drinks booze before she gets in her taxi cab. Um, and she hears her cat Claude and goes to investigate. Um, it was kind of interesting because the previous shot before that was of Claude getting ready to nibble on the face of uh, dead Claire right. in the attic, which I've have heard has happened. Yeah. Animals eating their owner's body to stay alive because the owner can obviously not feed the animal anymore. Well, dude, let me, I'll tell you this. If next time you watch this movie, Anytime that cat uh, was on scene or meowed, everybody lost their shit and dropped whatever they were doing. Every single time. If that cat meowed, whoever was on screen at that time, oh, Claude, oh, kitty, kitty, Claude, and they'd all stop and look have for you, him. <laughs> have you ever played video games with Dave? Yes. Have you twice. heard when Grindel meows, what he does? Drops everything and attends to that, that damn cat. cat. Yep. <laughs> it's cat people, dude. Right. I mean, but this worked like well it. because they've already established that everybody in this house looked out for this cat because whenever he meowed, they went for him. So now that you see he's up there with the dead body and he's meowing, you already know that he's leading un- un- unwillingly or unwittingly leading this lady up to the to the body because she's going to investigate. Absolutely. And do we now realize the dangers of searching addicts headfirst? Or owning cats. Either way, it's... Yeah, okay, don't own a cat. They're deadly as shit. They'll get you killed in a minute. <laughs> They'll eat your face, dude. Well, if they don't eat your face, they'll force you to find them and then get your face hooked. Yep. Which there's no way that could happen. No, I mean the, the the logistics, the physics of that doesn't work, but the it was still impactful. I'll say. I okay. The killer is extremely patient because Miss um, Mac goes upstairs into the attic head first, looks around, not in the direction of the killer, who's holding a large hook on a pulley system behind her. Allows her to observe the dead corpse of her friend and the cat. Allows her to get terrified. Allows her to scan the room for danger. And as soon as she turns around and sees the killer, releases the hook on the pulley. It smacks her in the face, hooks her. He immediately pulls her up into the attic, and she's gone. And I was kind of bummed when Miss Mac died because I did like her. She was a part of the movie that I enjoyed. It was good, though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You get sad because you actually start, What? Investing in characters. There we go. And that's what we've said forever. Is is it common to have like a whole meat hook and pulley system in an attic? I don't have that if it's common. Well, how else are you going to get your Christmas tree up there? Hmm, okay. I'm doing it wrong. Or your dead box. <laughs> <laughs> or a big side of beef so I can do like uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Four or Rocky. Rocky Absolutely. you got to have somewhere to punch your right. beef around. <laughs> yep. It's <laughs> great. Good one. Nice job. Um, so that's when the killer goes bonker, bonkers, starts wailing and throwing basically a, an infant's temper tantrum. Yeah. And, um, which he does a lot. So he's unhinged, clearly. Yeah. Um, 
And then the search party finds something, but we never learn what until later. All we see is uh, grimacing faces of horror as they well, discover something on the ground. No, the, the search party was for uh, a, t- a young teenage girl that had got lost in the woods after school. No. No. No? The search party for was for Claire, and they found the teenage girl. Because uh, even I- Jess says later, we were out on a search party looking for Claire, and we found that little girl. I took that wrong then because in the background of the police station, the mom is reporting the, the, the little girl missing and they're talking about setting up a search for her. I thought the same thing, but then that's what Jeff's, Jess says later. Well, it, maybe maybe there was two different things going on. Maybe there, were, there was a group searching for... Yeah, because even the two guys that show up later say, hey, didn't you know a little girl was killed out here? They were part of the search party. But the little girl's mom was there too with Mr. Harrison, so maybe it was like double duty. Like, yeah. let's find the little girl Okay, there, there's some haziness there, but I, okay, yeah. Either way, they were on a search party, right. so there we go. Um, but lucky enough, Jess leaves the search party just in time to get home to answer another phone call. Um, and as she's having that phone call, she gets startled by Peter um, because she's phoning the police to actually report the obscene phone calls. And they actually respond faster to that than of Claire missing, right. coming missing. Yeah. Well, yeah, since like, we talked oh about a, since we talked about a phone call, can I give you another quiz? Go. Okay. Is this the creeper from Black Christmas or Doc eating ice cream? Let me lick it, lick it, lick it. Let me lick. Wait. Which way you want to go with that? <laughs> <laughs> Have I stumped you? <laughs> that was good. I was trying to come up with something during my life, but I couldn't. That was perfect. That was, that was the best. So I nailed one. <laughs> yeah. That was a... Uh... <laughs> Let me lick it. <laughs> <laughs> I, can pretty mu- I can pretty much guarantee that will be used in future shows. So That was perfect. You'll dude. hear that yeah. one again. <laughs> That's me trying to grab some 31 flavors in a drive-thru, and they don't have a drive-thru, so I have to go inside. Let me lick it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, initially, though, when she calls to report the obscene phone calls, who does she get? Nash. Negative (laughs) Nashy. Yeah, negative Nashy. So, anyway, he doesn't do anything initially. Um... Peter tells Jess that they are getting married, which is basically news to her because she had no idea that was happening. Right. Um, basically, Peter is not catching what she's throwing down. Yeah, she ain't having it. Not a bit. So she is aborting the baby and their relationship at the same time. <laughs> it's all getting jettisoned. <laughs> yeah, everything's getting killed. It's not happening. Um, but it's funny because he was talking about getting married, and so he basically, once that's going downhill, he tries to lighten the mood by talking about the abortion, and that's like, really, dude? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, he was a little backwards. But again, dude, I think that that, that was a big communication problem in in that um, in that relationship to begin with. Yeah, of course. They're in it just for the sex and the baby making. That wasn't going far, right? So at this point, Lieutenant Fuller goes to call um, the sorority about um, whatever the investigation, and that's when he tries to use the phone number that Barb gave Nash, and that's when you get the the literally credited as laughing policeman. Yes. Because that's all he did was laugh when, whenever Lieutenant Fuller went to call Fellatio 7765 or whatever. Yeah. And you know what's funny um, is they actually used his name in the movie, but they didn't use it in the uh, credits. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah. 
Um, and I told you why later, why they were laughing so harshly. Right. And then I think Saxon even tells uh, Nash, like, hey, man, I don't think you could pick your nose without instructions. So right. obviously Nash works the desk because he's the biggest dipshit in the room. Yeah, in the busiest and police proven, station of all time. It's proven yeah. later that he is, in fact, um, the biggest dipshit in the room. Yes. But then it comes back to um, Peter and Jess because I guess um, because he can't get the abortion like he wants, he starts breaking Christmas ornaments and crap. Um, and then basically he threatens her, like, you'll be sorry if you do that. Yeah, they kind of cut him off before he can make his um, uh, threat, though, right? Like, she she leaves the room when he says, you'll be sorry. Yep. So at that point, um, he leaves abruptly, but only as um, Lieutenant Fuller comes in the room. Hey, you know what? You got the cool, deep voice again. Do I sound like Alvin? You do. Excellent. All right. No one will know All this right, magic. So so basically, um, Peter decides to leave, but as he leaves, Lieutenant Fuller's coming in the room, and that's when um, Lieutenant Fuller's um, detective senses start tingling, basically. You notice how he kind of looked at him when he left the room? Oh, yeah. He definitely didn't like the looks of that kid, which I don't understand why. There was no pretext when he came in, nothing like that. I mean, I'm sure it was a little tense in the room, and you can feel that sometimes, but he did not like him. Plus, he looked like a killer. Yeah, psycho killer. Um, They basically get consent from Jess to place a phone tap on the phone, or a a tap on the phone, um, which, while the techie guy's doing that, um, Fuller goes and inspects Claire's room, which is basically a crime scene that should have been done to begin with. Right. I would assume. Um, All he does is question... Jess about the drinking and who she hangs out with and when they last saw her, whatever. He's doing what a detective should do. Um, But then the tech guy lets all the girls know that they'll have to keep the caller on the line to get the coordinates. And I love that cliche in movies. Okay, dude, they went went way, way too far into explaining wiretap technology in this movie, dude. They spent like 10 minutes of this movie... Telling you what a wiretap is and how it works to the point where it no, got they old. They didn't. To me. He said it's mechanical. You got to keep them on the line for it to work. That's he said that, but they then said. they then they, you go through the guy that works down at the at the wiretap installation and, and him running around hallway to hallway trying to find which line there was. And there was a ton of ton they of showed that work. just just to show how it worked, but they didn't explain it while they were uh, to doing me. It was out it. of they place. Were just showing what he was doing. I thought this was out of place like, in this movie, man. I love that old cliche where like. You know, he says you got to keep him on the line, and I always think back like the person gets a phone call, the tech guy's got one headset up to his ear listening to it, then he's like, "Keep him on the line," right, right. and he's doing his hand in a circular motion. Yeah, right. That's what I always think of when I hear that line. And the bad guy always knows to hang up seconds before they almost got him because he knows exactly we how much a, time. We need a minute thirty, a minute twenty-eight. Damn it! No, see this turn. This turned for me more into like now it's a cop drama instead of a. a uh, horror film and I just I, it, it was out of place it was part of the movie that I thought was out of place police procedural but I'll allow it I was fine with it and then this is where they also say hey should I tap the other line in the house and they say no he's only called on this line and right away the minute they said that I said oh the call's coming from the house that I, I, I knew <laughs> I knew instantly when they said that dude I knew it when I saw it years ago that that was going to be the case because he's literally calling from inside the house. Right. But is this, you see it. Is this one of the first... This has to be one of the early times they've used that trope, though, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I don't, it's not a trope if you're the first person to do it. Absolutely, you're right. You're right there. Yeah. They might have set the set the standard then for it. Absolutely. Uh, at this point, Phil heads upstairs to her death. I mean, to bed. And um, as the house quiets down for the evening, the prowler pops out of the attic. And uh, that's when you get another little um, misdirection, if you will, because you hear Barb start to scream and hyperventilate. So you think maybe she's getting choked out, but. Um, she's asthmatic. Yeah, I got a cut of that. A little breather. I got a little trivia for you. So tell me, <laughs> <laughs> is is when is, do I get to play with <laughs> clips and shit? This is <laughs> tell me, is this the asthma attack from Black Christmas, or is this Doc running on a treadmill? <laughs> Which one? That's the sound I make when I find out it's too early to order filet of fish from McDonald's. <laughs> you hyperventilate. <laughs> what? It's ten thirty-one. It's when they tell you that. Do you catch the vapors and you got to like fan your your face with your hand? <laughs> I can't get a filet. McRib is not in season anymore. <laughs> All right. I'm almost done with those. Don't worry. I'm almost done. No, no, no. I I love them. They're great. They make me giggle. All my fats wriggling around. (laughs) Motherfucker. Anyway. God, why do I do this to myself? (laughs) Hey, man, just like this movie, you got to have, you got to break the tension a little bit of the movie. (laughs) Got to break the tension of the show a little bit. Well played, sir. You're doing a great job. Um. Oh, God, where are we at? You made me lose uh, Asthma attack. Uh, so she's having an asthma attack. Jess runs up, helps her out, gives her a little inhaler thing. Um, at that point, that's when she gets a knock at the door. Uh-oh, it's uh, caroling children of the corn who have terrible timing. <laughs> nice, dude. Um, they're emotionless. They're soulless. They're singing carols that sounds like they're coming from little angels of death. And... Um, Hey, those kids set a great tone, man, because it was a kind of a creepy, high-pitched song that was going on during the eerie stuff, so I thought it worked very well. But it's funny. I mean, Jess, like, I guess she just can't help herself. She loves a good Carolyn sesh because I would have gone down there and said, like, hey, hey, kids, uh, my roommate's missing, presumed uh, dead, so maybe you could find a different house to go to right now. Now is not the good time. Like a thanks but no thanks type ordeal? Yeah, or yeah. don't open the door and just let them keep singing. But she opens up and gazes at them weirdly. Um, oh, and, oh, oh uh, before you get too far, did you catch, because um, I'm trying to call these out more. Remember we talked about the Chekhov's gun thing in, in film? Yep. Did absolutely. you catch the Chekhov's gun with the uh, little statue, the unicorn statue in, in Margot Kidder's room during the asthma attack? Yeah. Yeah, because when they kind of focus on that next to the bed during the asthma attack, I'm like, oh, if that don't get used, I'm a, I'll be a son of a bitch because <laughs> <laughs> that's way too pointy to have right next to your bed when you're sleeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could just... Uh, inadvertently roll over and knock that thing into your neck. Oh, yeah. So that was kind of cool. Great. I want to make sure that we, we we catch those little things since we talked about it. I did not it. notice, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, yeah I did. So um, he mentions something about his name's Billy while he's stumbling around and stuff, um, and he stands over top of Barb and violently plunges that ornate unicorn thing right into her gutty what's. Yeah. Uh, and then that's when we get a really cool... A uh, quick back and forth cut between the bloody stabbing dagger, 
or the uh, unicorn head, and the kids' innocent faces as they slowly sang, right. Oh, come all ye faithful. Right. Um, which was a very effective little um, just dark-toned scene. Super well, really super well used device is what I'd call that. It gave me a little Christmas jingly right up my spine, yeah, man. That was good. It was good. So at this point, the killer calls and Jess answers again. Uh, but this time, because of the phone tap, tap a tap, Lieutenant Fuller listens in at his desk. But damn it, Steve, they didn't keep him on the line long enough. Yeah. I mean, you knew that was coming, right? So let's show three more minutes of the dude at the phone station running around uh, aisle to aisle. Uh, but this time Peter calls and Fuller gets the techie to tr- trace the call, which he, I'm pretty sure he technically shouldn't have been listening to that phone call because it was between two adults and not the suspect and an adult. Right, that wasn't part of the investigation, right? <laughs> right. Um, but guess what? Oops, missed by that much. They couldn't do that one either. Yeah, but I mean, that's more just leading you towards Peter because then you get the, um, he knows now that there's animosity between Peter and uh, Jess and, and it's it's still, it's really pushing you. And that's kind of how I knew it wasn't Peter is because it was kind of pushing you so hard towards Peter. So, Right. But um, it actually makes Jess think that Peter's the killer as well because she starts to see little tinges of, Peter and the killer whenever he calls. And he actually tells Phil about that later. Like, she's like, why wouldn't you tell him you think he may be the killer? And she's like, well, I don't know for sure, so I don't want to say something. But she she thinks maybe there's an inkling of of it's him. Right. So um, Lieutenant Fuller calls Jess to question him about the phone call between him and P- her and Peter. Um, and then that's when we find out, like, she explains to the lieutenant, hey, Peter was in the house during one of those phone calls, so he couldn't have made it if he was in the house. But that was when he was asleep, remember? Upstairs, yes. Yeah, and so it could have been, but... Because of the second line, right. So, at this point, Phyllis goes to get Jess some aspirin. She's having a rough day. And I actually jumped a little bit when that strange dude popped up in the window. Did you? The search party guy? It's like, who the hell is that? I really like those guys. That part of the movie was funny to me. Because Miss Mac was gone, and she was kind of my comedy relief. So these guys kind of filled a, a gap for me. Two of the scariest characters in the entire movie to me. <laughs> yeah. So what it is um, is two guys that were part of a search party, party like um, two bumbling um, bumpkins, kind of drunk and, and weird. They stumble upon a sorority house and, and uh, instantly, like any guys would do, try to, well, if you guys need me to hang out a little bit or if you guys need help, I'd be willing to come in and hang out with you. <laughs> well, it's funny because they're, they're really looking to pop a cap in that prowler's jerk ass. But, yeah, guns, um, guns ablaze. They're a little bit too jittery with, for that trigger finger to be effective. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, they were kind of weird. And, and like, okay, first off, who, who opens the door to a guy armed with a shotgun when there's a killer on the loose? Well, the funny thing about that is, is after that scene, um, when they're, they're, the girls are laughing too because they, they see the guys and they, they kind of can tell they're harmless. They're just weird. Um, but at that point, they finally say like, hey, did we, we need to lock down this house. Do you want to lock the doors and the windows? I'm like, just now? What? Just now you want to lock down? <laughs> they finally decide to lock the doors and the windows? What? <laughs> Jesus Christ. You deserve to die at it, this point. It took those two bumpkins to, to get these girls scared enough to lock a door. <laughs> not the killings, not the teenage girl getting killed, not their roommate well, missing. Remember, they, they've only discovered one person dead, and it wasn't at their house so right. far. It so wasn't even one of their friends. There's, there's still some implausibility that they could ever be affected by that. That's true, yeah. Even though Phil knows that Claire's dead because she's clairvoyant, um, and she breaks down and cries about it. 
Um, there's really nothing hit close to home for them yet. Right. The only dead body that's been found was the teenage girl got lost coming home from school, which really might not have even been the killer in the house. This could have been a completely uh, random episode. Absolutely. But Phil is going to not bode well during this entire operation because while they're locking up everything, she wanders into Barb's room and the door closes. And I'm sure it was just the wind, right? Un- unfortunately for Phil, it was not. Damn it. Yeah. Jeez. And I liked Phil, dude. She was cool. I did too. Like I said, she kept everything on lockdown, dude. She was calm, collect, caring, the three C's. Yes. So um, we watch as... Um, the predatory phalanges of the killer rotary dials the number and kids, a lot of younger people today won't know what a rotary phone is either, yeah. but it was the most inconvenient way to call somebody ever. Yes. Nine one one would take 45 seconds just to die. You were totally killing my post show stuff, but go ahead. Okay. Um, we get more haunting dialogue as Billy grunts while someone screams in the background, which I'm, I assume is Agnes. Um, it's again, it's truly some disturbing stuff that they did. Very. Um, and Jess is legit freaked out by this. And I thought for a second that maybe the screaming was, uh, Phil dying in the background, but I think, I don't know where Agnes is, but she's somewhere up there. (laughs) Somebody, some female somewhere. Well, I thought the dude was a schizo at that point. Like they were using voice, different voices, you know, for the sake of the movie. But I think that was supposed to be just the killer freaking out. Right. Well, guess who finds out? Uh, who found finds out some disturbing news? Nash, is it? Lieutenant Fuller. Fuller gets a call from the techie, and guess what, Steve? The call is coming. The calls are coming from, from down the, the street. House. Damn it, I messed it up. Inside the house. Yeah. Inside the house. Okay. All inside since the house. we said calls, I'm going to give you my last one. You ready? Is this the killer? Is this the killer <laughs> from Black Christmas, or me? Calling Doc before work. You fat pig. (laughs) You bitch pig. (laughs) Is that an actual recording of us? (laughs) Or is that from the movie? (laughs) (laughs) You won the day, man. Oh my God, that's terrific. It could be, dude. I call you like that sometimes when I'm in a jerk mood, you know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. And that's the end of the show because I can't do better. You fat pig. <laughs> could be me. Could be the killer. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> oh, that was terrific. That's definitely you. Um. So it's just. <laughs> Bravo, sir. Seriously. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Congratulations. <laughs> Fuller's on his way uh, to the sorority house, and he, he he gives Nash explicit instructions. Call Jess. Tell her to get out of the house. Don't tell her why, but the killer's in her house. Yeah. And don't fuck this up. Right, right. Don't Don't tell her not to worry about anybody else. Get the hell out of there. And Nash totally fucks it up because he calls her and tells her the killer's in the house and she needs to leave. Right. So, and like a good friend, Jess is like she so she doesn't know that that um Phil has already been killed. She thinks Phil's still in the in the house in the room with a headache or whatever. So she goes looking for Phil to get her out too, which I think is a really cool thing. Uh, and for, Barb for her to do. I, I don't remember her mentioning Barb, but I'm, she I'm said sure Phil, it was both. Barb, come okay. downstairs, okay. please. Okay. Good. So, um. At this point, dude, I really empathize for the terror that she was experiencing. 
um, she did an excellent job portraying the emotion of fear. Yeah, she's a great I actress. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she did a great job. Um, she bravely, but yet somewhat ignorantly, goes upstairs with a fireplace poker to uh, discover her friend's corpses. Uh, a, a weapon that's been used in many O movie fireplace pokers. I'm down with it. Yep. I'll smack your face right now yeah, if I, I saw you poke, fireplace poke your, poker. Poke you right in the belly button with that thing. <laughs> Would it jiggle like a bowl full of jelly? You son of a bitch. <laughs> um, God damn it, that's so good. The killer, uh, basically, d- dude, imagine you've just seen both of your friends murdered in a bed and somebody starts grunting right behind the door and you look at the, the crack in the door and you see his eyeball. <laughs> that was the one, bro. That was the scene for me in the movie that did it for me. That freaked me out more than anything else, dude. Terrific. I couldn't imagine 1974 people, how they reacted to oh, that. Oh, dude, even thinking about it now, I, I'm getting a little bit of like the arm. Yeah, dude. dude. That, that was, was great. Great. And it's not even, it's just done with, with sound and proper lighting and proper camera work and good acting. It's not done with anything spectacular. It's just, it's set up perfectly to work. Just so you know, that was the uh, very for- first recorded incident of um, kind of uh, archaic CGI used in a movie. You didn't know that? I did not. No, it wasn't. Okay, it I was think just so. straight an eyeball and a, and a door crack. But seriously, dude, let I me mean, think about it. They use something that me and you could do. We can't, but yeah. in, in theory, we could use with what we have in our house right now, and they created it and made it work so well. Lighting, expert lighting, direction, camera shots, um, music, angles. Music and music. Sound, music, everything. Would just. And we're talking spot. about, uh, it's like a, a three-second part of the film that was super effective, man. Really hit me. Now, she did something that I think most of us would also do. As soon as she sees that, she smashes that door as hard as she could. Right, and that one now reminded me a little bit of Halloween, where, where the heroine actually um, gets gets the best of them a little, fights back a little bit. I, I think it was fight or flight, dude, and she fought back, and as soon as she realized he may be injured because of the sound he made when she smacked the door against his face, I yeah. guess, um, she took off, which is a smart thing to do. It is. It's perfect. I say one of the top ten scenes of a lot of uh, most of the horror movies I've ever seen. I mean, it, it, they they today movies haven't scared me or had a good effect as that eyeball did. That lone eyeball in this movie. There was some stuff in Insidious and in the oh, Conjuring. Yeah, those are good, dude. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah, but I mean, James Wan is a student of these. Types well, I mean, and you're picking so. out some of the cream of the crop. I'm just talking about out of the the yeah, huge, right. absolutely, you know, absolutely, man, huge, many, many, many horror movies that aren't done that well. Um has that eyeball was better than a lot of it they they that wasn't even a jump scare really it no it was a creep scare just horror horrific imagery you know something that bob clark literally delved into the things that frightened me it seemed like it was like a personal shout out to to doc to say like hey i'm gonna find some shit that i know scares you and i'm gonna put it on the screen it's it's very simple it scares a lot of other people too it's simple and effective i think is is the reasoning for it yep absolutely um, but she gets downstairs and realizes the front door is locked. I don't understand how she couldn't get out the front door when she was the one who locked it. But, um, so she oh, runs oh, around. And I, he- I think I might know that because when Miss Mac came in and dropped her, um, stuff the first time she jiggled the door bunch and said, haven't they fixed that goddamn door yet? I told him how many times to fix the door. So That's I think they did, right. they did give a little taste of that. Which is not really good, uh, especially at a sorority house for, the fire marshal right. reasons and whatnot. Yeah. And you'd also, you'd have to be really paying really damn good attention or watch the movie more than once to even really connect those two dots. 
No, I mean, you did, so good on you. Oh, thanks, bud. So she starts running around the first floor, and the killer, who's wearing the exact same green sweater as Peter earlier. Nice. I notice. I didn't. Grabs her by her hair and tries to swing, swing her around the banister, basically, and she stumbles and he stumbles, but she's able to recover quicker and um, basically uh, runs to the basement and locks herself in there. Yeah, my only note on that was yoinked the hell out of her hair. That's all I got there. It, that looked like it really hurt. It did. So he basically bangs and shouts on the door, uh, or bangs and bangs on the door and shouts out loud, and eventually seems to give up and walk away. Right. But she uh, actually, the bravest person I know, she actually went downstairs in that dark ass basement. I would have never done that. From, a the, years. from the world's never. creepiest attic to the world's creepiest basement. Yeah, like didn't turn the light on or anything, man. I mean, she was pitch black in there. Um, and I thought the shadow guy on the glass was really creepy too. Yeah, that works well. Yep. Uh, but it was Peter trying to act normal. I thought, I thought he was a killer. Did you? Because of the sweater. I did because I, of the well, sweater. I didn't. I, I had no, Just I for knew second. for sure he wasn't. Um, and he basically kicks in the window again, something a killer would do. Cause how did he even know she was down there? But I took it as him trying to save her, not not kill her. He was didn't the know thing. she was down there, dude. Right. How did he know she was down there from the outside? Yeah, who knows? So he kicks in the window and enters the darkness, calmly calling her name. Um, he finds her and moves closer as police arrive. Um, and then we have no idea what happens. All we know is that the police are now kicking in the basement door, and they stumble upon uh, Jess and Peter, who both look dead to me. Yes. Jess eventually comes to, um, she has killed Peter in her state of, uh, frantic fear. Distraught. With a fire poker. Yep. Um, that's when the cops do the, uh, most unintelligent thing ever. They don't transport her immediately to a hospital. They lay her in a bed inside the sorority while they all fucking debrief each other and scream out instructions and turn on the sirens to their cops' cars while she's trying to take a nap. And worse than that, then they all just leave her alone. In the house. No no searching, no lockdown. They just, well, no, the press shows up, and he said, I don't want the press here. Get him out of here. We'll, we'll take him down to the station. And everybody leaves, and they leave her alone right after all this just happened in the house. Which is kind of the right idea because she needed the rest, but it's also <laughs> the absolute wrong idea because... Um, it's a crime scene, and she needs to go to the hospital because she was just, you know, supposedly attacked by a killer. No one should be so. alone after that, dude. No one. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, you're left alone in a house where all of your friends were brutally murdered. Yeah. So I and, thought this was really cool. The and still dead pans. bodies in the house. Don't forget. They didn't even search they didn't the damn attic. Yeah, right. they didn't search the attic. Right. So the camera pans through the entire house, and it goes up to the attic door, even though, like, every time it would look at a bed, you would think something was going to emerge from underneath the bed because the music would build up yeah. in intensity. They, they were really good they at would, the tension very well, very good. Yeah, they, would, they would leave that, and they would go to another room, tension, then it would go up to the attic hatch, and um, it's eerily quiet except for the murmuring of Billy um, upstairs, and we see that they haven't discovered Claire or Miss Mac and the killer is still on the loose. Right. So the camera peers inside. Um, again, another shot of Claire's plastic encapsulated head. It then zooms outside as the interior, uh, from the interior to the exterior, where we see Claire's head uh, in the rocking chair in the window for all to see still, but nobody's noticed it. And the phone begins to ring again. 
which which is usually means that there's going to be another killing when the phone rings. Right. Um, Just like the characters in the movie, we don't have any answers either, and we don't also have a happy ending. So there you go. And I also... um, I, I cannot accept this as an ending for such a good movie, dude. That really let me down. Really let me down. I think he had more to tell, and I like downer endings, but we'll put it this way. It didn't let you down. It left you wanting more. Uh, no. It To leave me wanting more, you need to give me something to bite into to begin with. You gave me nothing on this, and it really... This was a big, huge uh, failure for me. And I think for them, too, because I read a bunch of Bonnet where they said that uh, Moore and Clark both couldn't decide whether or not to have, have her killed or not. And they decided, they wrote two alternate endings to the film, one where she dies and one where she survives, and neither of those was ever filmed. They ended up leaving it because they couldn't decide, which means to me this is an unfinished movie. I don't know about that. Um, I think Bob Clark had other ideas for sequels because, I mean, he's already... Um, shown that he's a forward thinker, forward thinking director. He can think ahead and create new things. So I thought maybe he believed that there would be a second movie. And he actually said in some Q and A's that um, the remake of this movie actually explains some more of this backstory and what happened than the original movie. Well, it should have been in the original, man. Really, for- I think I've seen the remake. Obviously, it didn't ring a bell with me because I don't remember it, but I think I own it. So maybe just, you know, without doing it on the show, we can watch and talk about that yeah. together. Yeah, let, let me see if I could plead my case a little better here. So um, okay. I wanted to know who the killer was throughout the whole movie. I was kind of watching this as a whodunit, right, mystery. And I'm going through the characters, who was in the room. Um, that's the part of the fun of, like, let's say reading a mystery novel, uh, you know, a whodunit. It's like having the, pa- the last page left blank. I knew as much about the killer during the opening credits and his motives as I knew about the killer and his motives during the end credits. Which is absolutely is that some nothing. of the horror though? Is it, that sometimes it, you just don't know? Not in this, not in this respect. So let's think about um, Phantasm, right? Where that ending also bothered me because it was a lot of unexplained stuff going on there. Okay. But in contrast, me and you had like a ten-minute debate saying, "But yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about that? And w- w- did he was it in his mind or wasn't it? But if you think of it like this, if you think of it like that, this one we can't even have that discussion because we know nothing about the killer or his motive. There's nothing to even debate or talk about. And I think that's a huge. Huge letdown, man, for such a great movie. I have also seen a lot more low-budget horror movies than you have and understand that this execution was flawless, and I will, um, I'm will. i not going to look at the ending as the be-all, end-all because I think he had more of a story to tell, and so I'm fine with it. Ah, man, I, I needed more. I needed something to sink my teeth into, man. I, I needed it. And it, okay. it I, I just, That's fair. Ah, it totally so, fair. It was so aggravating I wanted to, to see me. more of the story as well, but I will... I, I, I also enjoy uh, endings that are left open for your own interpretation. So I kind of like filling in some of the blanks myself. I'm cool with that too, but you got to give me something to work with at least. I have zero information to work with to make any kind of decisions on this one. Okay. So that, that's, what, that's where it really kind of like, oh man, such a, I had so much fun with this and I had such a good time. And then like, oh, come on, man. And then when I read, like I said, when I read they wrote two different endings and didn't use either of them, I almost felt like they left it um, well, we didn't know how to end it either, so here's what you got, you know, type deal. That happens sometimes, man. It's a creative, collaborative process. And dude, a lot of different you know people. what? That, that happens too. I've some of my favorite books um, are great all the way to the end, and sometimes they just can't stick that ending. They can't tie up the loose ends, or they can't they can't finish it properly. And I think that's a hard thing to do, book or movie, just is to really, really wrap everything up for the for the viewer. Here's what pisses me off too, though, because major Hollywood productions, 
will have an ending that they'll screen and the audience who obviously wanted to go see a free movie and talk about it, um, will poo poo the ending. And so they'll completely change it and oh, give it something yeah. far more milk toast and boring. That's just as bad. Yeah. Or that worse. nobody wants to see, but right. it's a happy ending. Right. That's why I was so glad Frank Darabont stuck with the ending for the mist because without that ending, that movie wouldn't be nearly as effective. And we might There's be so many downer endings. Yeah, we might be talking about a, a movie with alternate endings in the near future, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Can't so wait. The, and, and I'm okay with with um, not being. I like to figure stuff out on my own. I like movies like that. Um, it, or, or even leaving something unexplained, like the let's say the the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. They never tell you what's in it, right? But it was just a device to move the plot along. It wasn't about the briefcase, right? If that if the whole thing was about what was in there, and you the don't get that, the briefcase wasn't the plot. It was a way to exactly, get from exactly. Exactly. So I'm okay with that ambiguity, and I'm okay with not figuring that out because it's just that's almost fun, right? Like ah, we can we can. Was it gold? Was it money? Was it drugs? Who gives a shit? It's just it's just what they were after. Um, but in this. In this respect, I got a whole movie about a killer that I still have no motive. Because he's still out there, Steve. There is no him. motive. Sometimes killers just kill. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have liked it. I'd have liked a little something. And and especially with the story I was getting on the telephone with with the Billy and the Agnes, I was waiting for like what that story was, you know, and that didn't get resolved. So that was a letdown. Make your own story up. I sure will. All right, you good? I'm good, buddy. Right. That's some bad news and some good news. Give me the good news. Uh, to newer viewers, this movie may seem cliche with a lot of like recognizable tropes and whatnot, uh, but I believe this expertly crafted, minimally budgeted um, horror film broke ground for most of the slashers that um, have followed, and it sets the bar, and it sets it extremely high. Right. I'd, I'd challenge you to find some of the things that were in this movie that have been done plenty since. Have challenge you to find it being done before this movie. Some of them have, but I just I think with putting them all together, yeah, in one slasher flick, making them work. This is basically a slasher flick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that's great. Um, and even though you know I did I did poo poo the ending quite a bit. I I I love cool. this movie. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was totally good, fair. You know? Okay, absolutely. Um, so my good news mostly it was the tone of the movie worked for me, and it was it had some suspense, it had some whodunit, it had some great dark humor, and all that was mixed in in the proper proportions so that it didn't go too far dark or too far funny. Um, and that that was genius. I thought. Absolutely, man. Uh, bad news. Uh, why wasn't there ever a proper sequel to tell more of this story? D dude, yes, that's what I want. Well, you man. want to know more about Billy and Agnes. That's what I want. Um, and I think Bob Clark had their story written. It just never came to fruition, man. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he true. said that Peter wasn't the killer in his eyes at all. Oh, just he's so definitely yeah, not. Knows. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's definitely, definitely not, not the killer. killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've already talked about the ending, so I wanted to pick something different than the ending for, for the bad news. Um, okay. I probably could have used a teeny bit more on the killings. Um, this is one of those movies where they show him starting the killing. You don't get a lot of gore or anything like that. And then, then you get the aftermath of the killing. Um, I could have used a little bit more, I think, during the killings. That's interesting you bring that up. Cool. Oh, you got something on that for later? Sure. Okay, good. Okay. Um, give me a schlock star rating. Um, five out of five long, hard swigs of sweet nectar swill chugged by Miss Mac. Rest M in peace. Miss Mac the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. All right. Uh, my schlock rating is, uh, 25 seconds, which is exactly how long it takes to dial the police on a rotary dial phone. Oh, what? Boom. But Boom. what did I say? How 45. many seconds did you I say? You said 45. <laughs> yeah. 
Nice, so, dude. Yeah, good, good stuff. All right, did you get a life lesson out of this movie? Just do what the fuck they tell you and get out of the house. Yep. That's it. Just get out of the house. Yes. Just Go, listen. leave. Just listen. Yep. I agree. Um, I learned that if I ever have to report a missing person to the police, I can pretty much expect to be treated with disdain and disbelief because every time they went to the police, they pretty much got brushed off like nothing was oh, happening. Oh, I'm sure if you're going to report a missing person, they're just going to roll their eyes at you because have you even looked in the house, man? Just so you know, fun fact, it is not necessary to wait 24 hours to report a missing person. Oh, very that good. Is, that is a total myth. A nice PSA there. So here, here's my take on what happens if me and you are uh, in this movie and you're Nash and I'm going to report my, my other one missing. Here we go. Oh, uh, officer, officer Doc, uh, I, I think my, my girlfriend's missing. She hasn't come home and I don't know where she's at. Is, is it possible you guys can do something to help me? No. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go back home then. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> You're welcome. That's what happened to everybody in this movie. <laughs> uh, I got to get a Mac so I can start playing this. This is not an even playing field at all. I love it. All right, here we go. I literally think if I had a Mac, there would be no talking between us. It would just be us playing a clip sound fight. effects. A, cl- back a clip forth. fight. All right, hold on. Here we go. Uh, 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 uh. Schlocker Not Protocol requires a quiz off. May the best human moron win. All right, buddy. Show me what you got. Thank you so much, Christine, for that. It's awesome. Can you name one other non-Christmas holiday-themed horror flick? Name what? Non-Christmas? Name one other non-Christmas-themed holiday horror flick. Thanksgiving. Very good. Uh, Halloween. My My Bloody Valentine. Very good. Um... The Arbor Day Massacres. Mother's uh, Day, April Fool's Day. You have passed the test. Test. We can remain friends. Groundho- Thank you. Groundhog's Day. Oh, all right, yeah, right. <laughs> all right. You did very well. I'm super proud of you. Thanks, man. Okay. Do you think that the whole cast, crew, and set reeked of cigarettes? Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of got that feel. Oh, tobacco-scented whiskey yeah everything in there smelled like wood and cigarettes i'm sure (laughs) a rich mahogany yeah all right absolutely your turn can you count down the 12 days of christmas without singing the song i don't even think i could do it with the song um can't sing it five maids of milking the only one i know is maids of milking (laughs) or the golden goose Lady Golden Goose. <laughs> Twelve golden rings. Five yeah. falling birds. Six. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm out. Going up instead of down, dude. It's even better. <laughs> if I do it out of order, I don't have to sing it. That was a that was uh, a trick. Do a, we should do a schlocker not one. I think. Did I sing one for Jack Frost? I think you I did. sang one for Jack Frost. You did. But I made it up, so it doesn't. You want me to find that? I bet I could find that clip. Absolutely. See, Go. Right. Since we got the new sound, the nice soundboard here, might as well look it up. Jack Frost. I got simple Jack Frost here. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> Mega Mix. Oh, apparently that wasn't even our first Christmas either, was it? Mm, has it? Was no. it? No. No, we did Silent Night, Deadly Night, and then the next Christmas we did Jack Frost. Wow, we got a lot of movies going on here. I think. All right, I'm pulling up the Jack Frost soundboard right now. I'm going all the way back. Mm. Great radio. Isn't this fun for everybody? 
I, I don't. If I have it, I don't. I don't know where it's right. at. We should do another one, an updated version. Okay, sorry, man. Go. That's all right. Five maids of milk and blah blah blah. Don't care. Okay. Uh, back to okay. Back to Black Christmas. My turn. Um, is it my turn? Indeed. Okay. Why did Miss Mac have to hide booze because there was literally alcohol displayed everywhere in the whole house? Uh, court order. She wasn't supposed to be drinking because she killed somebody in a DUI. All right. That was part of what the sequel or the prequel? No, I just made that. Up, yeah. <laughs> is that part of the director's cut? <laughs> Behind the scenes, the BTS. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, would more blood and gore have made this a better film? Yeah, I, I don't think a lot because I liked this. I like again, this is more of a murder mystery to me, a suspense, but a little bit more. Like when Margot Kidder got killed, there wasn't even. I don't think there was even any blood on her. Like they were on, showing her. There shows. was. Was there, there was blood? blood on the on the uh, unicorn? Uh, so. there, there was so little that it didn't affect me. I guess a, a little, like even on the choking scene, I could have used a little of the bag sucking in and out, or just a teeny tiny bit more would have worked for me. Okay. You? How Fair about enough, you? Man. Do you like it as is or? I think it's fine as is, but uh, like Phil, it would have been nice to see exactly how she was murdered. Right, right. Or maybe, maybe the know. maybe when he swung that hook, might give me like a mannequin or a dummy and let it hit the head or something. Just something, you know, would have been cool. <laughs> so the wig falls off and it yeah. looks all weird. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, was the this is kind of a two part question, a three part question? Um, was the killer living in the house? No, because he came in and climbed the trellis. But then, did he ever leave? I think so. Yeah, I'm gonna say yes. Okay, I I, I didn't think so. I thought he was kind of always there because they never show him. Well, like a sack full of sandwiches or something. Well, that was that was the the, the next part of the question was where do you get his snacks and where do you make his peeps and his poops? That's that was my <laughs> other part of that. <laughs> that could go in a jar, but I mean, uh, what would he go down to the refrigerator while he was gone and I eat all their um, hit the pantry and grab all their pop tarts? They showed him breaking in once, and he was always in the house calling. So. Did he break in all the time on the regular? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty adept at it. He I got guess. in unnoticed. So, sure. All right. And plus, uh, how, when did he kill the girl? Before he got in the house? I, I don't think he even killed the girl. I think that was an unrelated thing. Really? I do. There's two serial killers on the loose. They didn't even what say that she was killed. They said she was found dead in the woods. I don't think that they specified, did they? Trampled by elephants or something? Or I, I, it, was left un, it was left unknown, I'll tell you that. And all the other killings were preceded by a telephone call, so I, I don't know. I think he, was, he killed her because uh, maybe she saw him peeing in the woods. He saw him making night soil, yeah, I guess. He saw my, my wang. <laughs> Billy's wang. Man, all, all the Billies, all the bad kids named Billy, dude. All of That's them. That's right, sound that deadly night, too. All of them. All right, um, uh, where are we at? We at Shock or not? We are, indeed. No, no, where, would you rather? Go. Would you rather be a designated driver for Barb or Miss Mac after a night of exceptionally hard partying? Oh, that's tough, man, because Miss Mac was cool as shit, but Barb was funny as hell, dude, when she was getting rambling. As long as you were cool with her, man, you were on the uh, safe list. You didn't get fucked with. But Man, that's a great question. That's a really tough call for me because I really like both of them in this movie. I'm going to say Miss Mac because she seems like a more uh, jovial drunk. You're right, and she probably might not smell as smoky as... Barb, maybe? Because Barb yeah, was hitting those cigarettes, dude. I hope they're menthol, so you at least have some, some, you know, wintergreen No, you, you know they'd be like cloves, and they'd just totally kill your car. Oh, and, God yeah. damn, like burning leaves? Yeah. <laughs> dude, my buddy's uh, doing some side work as an Uber driver, and I said, is it cool? He's like, dude, you pick up someone from, like, the roller skating rink or the ice hockey rink, your car will stink like feet for a week, dude, just driving them oh, home. God, <laughs> <dude>. Gross. <laughs> 
<laughs> like a pet car full of kids with stank feet. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Um, okay. It's your turn. Would you rather? Now, this doesn't have anything to do with Christmas coming up and me coming over for Christmas, but on Christmas, would you rather receive a fruitcake or a used copy of Glitter? Glitter all day. All right. <laughs> You're not going to chew on that fruitcake? <laughs> I do. I've seriously never eaten a fruitcake because of uh, all these stories I've heard about how terrible they are. How old they are and moldy and everything else. Yeah, like uh, people recycle them and re-gift them and shit. So you've got a fruitcake that's been out there for two decades. <laughs> nobody's eaten. Gross. Yes. Oh, and you know what? Now that you have the, um, now that you can hear the sound clip since we fixed that, you can actually hear the new um, Schlocker Not intro drum roll. Okay, is it schlock or is it not? <laughs> I've been doing a good job with these since I've been sick. I've been really knocking them out. Oh, God. <laughs> Stupid. It's just until Sledge makes us a better one, man. It's temporary. I'm glad you're really bringing the levels up. Really high class. High class and <laughs> up. Yeah, keeping it professional. <clears throat> I mean, anything I say after that, if I say not schlock, I mean, it's just, it's, it's ruined. It still seems kind of schlocky. <laughs> it's ruined. So, having said that, it's not schlock. Uh, it's serious creep factory stuff. Um, it's got a black tone and a dreadful atmosphere, and I'm glad I have it in my collection. So I, I will 100% agree. I called this not, schlo- not schlock, and I called it dark holiday goodness was my my little description. I love it. Of it. That's perfect. All right, did you get a flick pick this week? I did, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this one. Mercy Christmas? Mm, no, I don't think so. Basically, a guy by the name of Michael Brisket okay. meets the woman of his dreams who invites him to Christmas dinner with her family, and things take a turn for the worse when he realizes he is Christmas dinner. He's the brisket. He's Michael Brisket. <laughs> So Michael Michael Hamburger went to a picnic and found out that he's the main course. Uh, yep. All right. So it's a good one, dude. I like that. Um, I got one for you. Me and Lynn just finished watching, and I don't know if you've Lynn watched this I. or not. Lynn and I just finished watching The Handmaid's Tale. Did you check that? I'm, I'm not a fan of that, man. Okay. I tried. So she liked it more than I did, um, but I think it's a really good fit for a pick with this movie because it was dark as hell, dark and twisted. Um the, my my big problem with it, and I told her at the end, was that uh, there was no fun to be had. I didn't have a little bit of yin to the yang. You know, it was it was just depressing yeah. all the way through. Look but at the backstory of how that show was created and what it was actually meant to be. And okay, tell me what you think of that afterwards. I, I will, but I will say that the acting was uh, outstanding. I thought the acting was great, and and it's uh, definitely pr- the production value was top notch. Uh, just a little dark for me, but Lynn liked it, and I'll probably end up watching the second season. So if you're interested, The Handmaid's Tale. Cool. Once more words right, too, I think. Okay, next up we get we're gonna do 2016's All Through the House, and it's streaming on Amazon Prime, starring Ashley Nunez, Jessica Chastain, yes, um, Cameron, Jessica Cameron, Jessica, Jessica Cameron, Chastain. Jennifer Winger. Um, I I know nothing about it. I just it was a request, and I'm looking forward to another holiday that was horror a request flick. from the uh, fellows from uh, from the pub to the oh, graveyard. That's right. You so said that thank last Thank you show. very much, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna hit that up, and we have a song from them to play. 
from that show or for that show. Oh, good. Okay, I I have a song to play on this one from IDFI. Um, buddy, Perfect, dude. Yep, buddy Jimbo awesome. supplied the music. It's uh, the exit music. Uh, it's a song called "I Hate the Holidays," which I think fits perfectly with this movie as well. Amazing. Thank you um, very much, Jimbo. I will cross my fingers and hope that we don't get any weird recording issues during the song. So. Uh, Please, if it's going to be good, please be during the song. <laughs> IDFI will blast right through it. Yeah, uh, IDFI, no check them out on YouTube. I hate the holidays. Uh, let me play a Sledge Patreon promo so I don't have to talk about it. Here, King Sledge, the voice here, number one Patreon. And the reason why I support this show is because I get a little value out of it. And if you get a little value out of the show, you can give a little back for as little as $1 a month. You can follow the link at steve52.com. The show is completely funded by our Patreons, and every cent goes straight back into making this show. Oh, it's so much nicer than me having to rattle that off. It goes right back to devices used to foil Doc and make fun of him at every turn, and yes. I agree with that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, do your <laughs> thanks, and, good, and I'll really play good. us out. I want to thank our merry mix of mad, win- mad men and women. Listeners are persevering Patreon su- supporters and Twitter friends at Rob Talbert, who's a writer for Scream Magazine, at Shane Ryan Films. He's the official Twitter for uh, Shane Ryan, who has acted in a buttload of cult films to include Samurai Cop 2 and Vaginal Holocaust. Which, mm-hmm. Where do I see that one? And at Purple Love X6, she is a person of our own ilk, uh, parent, and consummate fan of horror and video games, and she is also extremely nice, which is uh, our type of peoples. For sure. Absolutely. If you want to contact us, you can do so at schlockernot at gmail.com. Visit the website, Steve52, for all those links, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, all the uh, the shirts, the schlock line, if you want to call us, is 209-STEVE-52. Uh, again, our outro music is by IDFI, a song called I Hate the Holidays. I thank- cannot wait for this, dude. I love this freaking song so thank much. Thank you so much for uh, for uh, recommending this. Uh, get the Twitter poll, and thanks, Doc, for recording. I love this movie. Yeah, this was, just so you know, this was a Twitter poll pick, and we can't thank you guys enough. Yeah, it was a great pick. Excellent. Here we go. Thanks, Jimbo. Thanks, Jimbo. Nah, nah, that's not it, dude. I was waiting for you to yell at me and tell me that's not the right song. Here we go.